The scripture today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 8 through 16. And if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1007. So by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You guys are feeling, you have to do a lot of exercise this week, okay? Actually, I love seeing um, some, some college students come home. And so I, I particularly enjoy this Sunday. Some of our guys usually go on vacation, but then some other people come home. And, and so I, I particularly love that. And um, I love having the, um, the, our youth members here together. And, and so I wish you could have been here to listen to the whole series, but you're catching the very tail end. Um, this is a series that we've called Revive Vision. And it's about what what is our this new church going to be all about? And let me let me ask our brother to put our, our vision and values up there. So you know these are this is our vision: new life in Christ for the nations of Silicon Valley. This this special place. It's not one city; it's actually multiple cities, isn't it? But we'll just call it our city: Silicon Valley, San Jose, Sunnyvale, Santa Clara, Palo Alto, etc. And these are our, our, our values, that we're going to be gospel-centered, and uh, we're going to have Christ reigning through word and spirit, and we're going to make disciples. Um, and today, I want to talk about that last one, um, heavenly citizens blessing our city. Heavenly citizens blessing our city. And, um, and let's really get right into this word, because this is a big text. There's only nine verses here. And, but in this nine verses, you get a huge idea about heaven and about city life and about hope. Um, and, you know, most of you guys are, you know, I don't see too many of you here that, you know, say, I, I want to go live on the farm. I mean, maybe there's a few of you that want to become mountain dwellers or something like that. Um, after living in the city for a while, a few of you are like, I want to go, you know, live out toward the mountain or something like that where there isn't as many people. But... Um, but, but most of you, you live here. You live here with uh, two million other people, right? And that's just our county. And then all throughout the Bay Area, I think they're pushing, we're pushing seven million people all throughout the Bay Area. 
And um, it isn't the biggest in terms of number, but in terms of influence, um, in terms of influence, this place is tremendously important. And will you love this city? Will you not simply just use this city? That's mostly how we do things. You go to a city mostly to use it, to use other people, to get money out of it. Uh, the cities are today places mostly of, um, of injustice and a lot of racism and where the powerful lord it over the weak. We literally where you know, the poor people live in certain neighborhoods and the richer people live in other neighborhoods. And... Um, and then, and then the better schools happen to be over there, and everybody just accepts that that's completely normal. You know, poor people should just get worse schools. Um, they don't get as good a police protection. Uh, the, the, the services and the streets literally aren't, very, aren't as nice on, those, on, on that side of town. All that is in our city, and that's pretty much like the way it is in all the cities. Um, but... That is not the way it should be for those people who are redeemed by Jesus. And most of us in America, when we think about what it means to be a Christian, what we mostly think about is uh, my private life. Um, what is it that, that, that I'm looking for in life? And is there something of, of religion that's even relevant? And more and more Americans are concluding that it is not relevant. But one of the reasons why I think people don't think it's relevant is because Christians have chosen to practice our faith in some little private place that we call church, and we don't understand that God has a vision for a city. God has a vision for what life is supposed to be like. And so um, that's what I'm going to talk about today, all right? So three parts. Part one, the theological meaning of the city, all right? I my water here. The theological meaning of the city. Did you know that the Bible doesn't just go, well, more people live here and less people live here. There's farming. But that the Bible actually looks at the city in a certain way. And that we ought to learn how to look at the city that way. Hmm. Part two. Heavenly civics. Okay. Um, do you guys care about civics? <laughs> it's like, it's like it's, it's, uh, I, I, I care very much about civics. Civics is how we ought to treat one another and live as citizens in the city. Civics literally comes from the Latin word civitas, which means city. Right? And how are we citizens in the city toward each other? Uh, most of, for, for most of us, it's a boring class you took your senior year and by the time you got to it in second semester of your senior year, you stopped paying attention, all right? And I think it's one of the reasons why we American, why citizenship in America is in trouble, right? It's why, um, why our politics is so ugly. It's why, because people don't have a sense of what it means to be citizens, and we just think, if you're on the other side of the political, then, then you're just an enemy. But what if they're citizens? and you're a citizen, shouldn't you be treating them a certain way even if you disagree? Shouldn't that be the way, isn't that the way it should be? And I think maybe it's the Christians. We need to bring some heavenly civics so that we can get a little bit better earthly civics maybe, right? So let's talk about heavenly civics in part two. And I want to close with the meditation that I'm going to call Hope Conquering the Enslavements of Today, all right? 
hope conquering the enslavements of today. I'm going to drink here. All right, let's get into it. Um, let me ask you to go right to verse 10. So this is a, there's only like, this is nine verses. For those of you who don't know, Hebrews 11, um, Hebrews, this is, this, is a, this is a rather famous chapter in the Bible where it takes all the heroes, not every single one, but a lot of them, a lot of the big names in the Bible, and it talks about how they lived in faith. They lived in faith. And this particular commentary is about one of the biggest heroes ever, who is Abraham. And so if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, what you have in really, in so many ways, in Genesis chapter 12, salvation of how God is going to redeem all the nations, is the, is, it's the plan starts there. And it starts in a very odd way with a guy named Abraham, or actually his name is not even Abraham at that point. It's Abram. And he lives in one of the great cities of the time. It's called Ur, right? And you might have heard about it in eighth grade or in ninth grade or whenever you talk world history, Ur of the Chaldees, right? And it's, it was really one of the great, great cities. And maybe it's, it was, it'd be something like New York or London of, of the time. And yet, God told him, I want you to go to a far-off land that you don't know, and this will be your land, and it will be the land of your people. And um, this isn't like going from, like, San Jose to Sacramento. It's not like, or, it's not like just hopping over to the other. It's like a 1,000 miles away. And if you, thought a thousand, if you think a 1,000 miles is far today, just, just you've got to imagine what that must have been like thousands of years ago, when you're going to traverse a thousand miles with camels and, um, you know, and all the, and all your, you know, all your different animals, because that's your wealth. Your, the wealth was, was animals. It's not like you're just carrying around um, money in your pocket or something like this. You have to carry all this stuff and go a thousand miles. And when you have wealth and you start traveling, other band of marauding tribes might decide that they want to kill you. It's, it was dangerous. It's dangerous. But um, what it says is, well, let, let's read it. Verse, let's, let's actually go back to verse 8, but I want you to pay attention to verse 10 because that's where it's going to get very relevant to today's um, idea about the theology of, the, of, of city. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. That's the land called Canaan, a thousand miles away from the city of Ur, right? And he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise. It's really important. In the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Let me just stop for a moment here. It's really important. If you want to understand how you think about a city, you have to think like Abraham. Abraham went to a place which, which is where he's a foreigner, where he is, he's essentially, many of, many of you in this room will understand this, you're an immigrant. You're going to a land, it's not your land, they don't speak your language. You, the, the, the weather is strange, the terrain is different, the food is odd, the skin color of the natives is strange to you. They immediately can tell you're not from there. Does this seem familiar? This is our father. Our father Abraham was an immigrant. 
He went to a foreign land. And then he looked at that place, but then he said that it is a land of promise, of something that's given to me. So think about that. Um, if you come from another country and you move to a new place, you're not going to think about generally the normal thing is it, it doesn't belong to you. <laughs> um, you know, there's a few of you who are from China here, but if you grew up in America and you go to China, you won't, <laughs> you won't necessarily immediately, maybe you'll feel like, oh, this is the land of my ancestors. But would you feel like this it belongs to you? Um, and for those of you who are born in America, or let's say you were born in Korea or the Philippines or somewhere else, if you go to China, are you going to go to that place and go, oh, by promise, this belongs to me? <laughs> are you going to think that? <laughs> That's, it's really weird that, you know, people come to America, and mostly the first thing they feel is this feel, the word, we, have this, we have a word for it, it's called displaced. <laughs> the culture, the race, the food, in every way, you feel displaced. But Abraham went there, and he, he saw my promise. Huh. It belongs to me. Isn't that crazy? But then listen to this next part. Verse 10. All right. For he was looking forward to the city. What's he looking for? There's a land of promise. He's looking forward to the city. Remember, he comes from, you know, New York and London combined. Where he comes from, if he wants a home, it's got to be a vast and great city, right? And when he goes there, there's no city. <laughs> Canaan was like, I, I don't know, it would be like going from New York and then like moving to Bakersfield or something like that. Right? I mean, can you imagine if you're from, you know, the, you know, if you're from Seoul or from Hong Kong, you know, or from Manila, and then you move to, I don't know if you've ever been to Bakersfield, but it's, it's not very impressive, okay? Um, it's not a bad city, okay? <laughs> but you just smell like cows everywhere you go, all right? And it was probably like that. But this is what it says in verse 10. For he was looking forward to what? The city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What's he looking for? He's looking for a city. Now, first, I've already talked to you about this. If you first... When you look at your city, wherever you live, or wherever you're called to live, this is a time where there's a lot of Abrahams. There's a lot of immigrants. People are displaced all the time in the world. It's not just an American thing. Um, people are, do you, do you know that there are people who are um, living in, in, or from India, and then they go spend six months working in Saudi Arabia, and they come back to India. Do you know that that happens? That's happening right now. Right now. There are people who live in Africa, and then they will go live for a year or two in, in Russia so they can go get work. And then come back. This is happening. So this, this thing of, of being an immigrant and of having to go to a new land, and typically, you know where they go? They go to cities. <laughs> Why do they go there? Because that's, the, that's where the money is. That's where the jobs are. That's where the opportunities are. It's also the place where you go when you are a stranger. You're not going to go to the middle of farmland. <laughs> Who's going to speak your language? You're going to, like, there, there's no people here, or there's very few people here, and people aren't going to like you because you're going to be the wrong skin color and won't speak their language. Or you're going to go to a city. What is he looking for? He's looking for a city. Now, let me, let me say a few other things about this. Um, if you've never read the whole Bible, uh, let, me, let me point a couple things out to you. 
at the beginning, you probably know that, the, that it starts with a garden. God made the earth. And now we, we live in a place that's very like environmentally, we, you know, people love Mother Nature. God is, does not, I mean, God loves nature because he made it, but actually he's not interested in nature per se. You know what he wants? He built a garden. A garden is not wild nature. Do you know what a garden is? It is, it is a place where someone is creating order and beauty has to be shaped out of a garden. And so and you guys know the difference. Uh, if you have a backyard and you have a garden in that backyard, there's a, there's a part of your garden that maybe you ignore because you're too lazy to mow it and all that stuff. And then once it turns into weeds and it all gets ugly, right? But then there's a portion that's called the garden where you take care of it. You sow, you sow seeds into it, and then beautiful things come out of it. And if wicked things come in there called like bugs, or you know, that's what you would consider. You're like, this is the bad stuff. Get rid of it. The weeds, the bugs, get rid of it. Or if other animals want to come in and raid, you would, you, you, you might fence it. It's, that's a garden. But you know what a garden is? This is really, according to the Bible, the garden is the seed of the city. Isn't that interesting? The end of the Bible is a city. The beginning of the Bible is a garden. Why? Because the garden is the start of human creativity because what God commanded human beings to do is to multiply and be fruitful, fill the earth and subdue it, what? With his glory. And so a garden is the place where you're taking something where that's imaging God and glory is, you're making glory come out of it. And as you begin to do that, then we have food. And then as more and more, as you have more food, then you have more people. And there's more people, guess what? The society starts getting complex. Then you go from a village. And then you go to a tribe. And then, guess what starts to happen? The, the town starts getting bigger. I, I mean, I, 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 mean I, I didn't mean to insult Bakersfield, because if you go, Bakersfield is a heck of a lot more interesting than, say, Hanford. And Hanford is a lot bigger than towns that have just 100 people or 200 people. But it starts someplace. It starts with a garden. And it was always God's intention that there would be cities. And it's not that a city is, in, in a sense, superior to like a small town or the countryside because God loves all people wherever they go, but God loves people. Because God loves people, why? Because they're of him. And he wants it to multiply. And when, you, when they multiply a lot, what you get is all their gifts and all their complexity. And at the peak of human life, we call it civilization. And you can't have civilization without city. At the center of civilization is city. Now, here's the other problem in the Bible. So one way of looking at the Bible is, you know, garden to city. You don't, if, you, if you think about environment. But what you have early in the Bible is a city is, is, arises, and that city builds a great tower, and they call themselves, they call it, it becomes the place where they become so prideful. In the early chapters of the Bible, all the cities are filled with oppression. There, there's a guy, um, I think his name is Lamech, and his great boast is how many people he's murdered. Do you think, oh, that's, oh, that's ancient that would never happen today. Of course it happens today. <laughs> and of course it happens today. Our, our city is a more safe city than a lot of cities. And because we have actual like courts 
but in a lot of the cities of the world, I mean, Bogota, Colombia, I hear that that's a gang-ridden city. It's a dangerous place. There are some cities that aren't run by the law, they're run by the mob. <laughs> and the powerful people in the city, they rule with, with might. They rule with guns. They rule with oppression. The money and everybody there has to fear and run after those people. It's completely normal. <laughs> and that was exactly happening early in the Bible. And then God you know, dispersed these people. And then other cities would arise. And so in the Bible, there's a, a great, there is essentially, there's, there's two great cities that are, um, that are named. <laughs> and again and again, one of those is called Babylon. Babylon also comes from Babel. It's a later name. But Babylon, it's really interesting that Babylon is also, is like its, its ancient precursor is the place that was so oppressive, right? And Babylon is a city in the Bible. This is one of the great, great Bible readers of all time is Augustine. And you know what he called Babylon? The city of man. It's, just, it's where the city and civilization is run without God. And it's a wicked place. It's a place of fear. It's a place where everybody says, I just have to like deal with the powerful person because then I lose my job. Or he kills me. Or he steals my wife. Or he kills my kids. This is the fear of Babylon. But... All throughout, God is trying to create a different kind of city. And the Bible ends with, and the, and the opposite in the Bible of Babylon is Jerusalem. <laughs> Jerusalem is supposed to be the seat of the city of the kingdom of God. And the Bible, we, we call it heaven. <laughs> we call it heaven. Many of us say, what will it be like when God makes all things new? And we call it heaven. But actually in the Bible, heaven isn't some far off place. It's the place where all of God's kingdom comes to earth. And you know how the Bible describes it? He describes it as a city. It's when Jerusalem is when Jerusalem is finally glorious without any more oppression and full of glory and honor and righteousness and beauty and love forever and ever. And there's no more tears and there's no more pain. That's exactly the way it says. There'll be no more tears and no more pain. Okay. Um, let me make... <clears throat> Three more quick points, and some because I'm like looking at some, and you're like, this is a lot to take in. It is a lot to take in. All right, um, let me make three more quick points, and let's start getting to application. Um, I want to ask you this question. It goes on. It goes on in this. We looked at verse ten, that there's a city. Um, I want you to let's, let's move on to uh, verse. Um, let me drop down to verse 16. So there's a discourse in the middle about Sarah. I won't get too much into that today. And then he returns to the theme of city again. Um, let's go back down to verse 13. So he's talking about Abraham and Sarah. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now let's stop for a moment here. If you have faith the way Abraham, they could see it. I mean, it's a strange thing to go from New York to Bakersfield and then could see New York. Isn't that weird? I'm just trying to give you an idea of how Abraham, he came from Ur. That's his actual home, but he decided that's not going to be my home. My real home is the land of promise. And then he goes out to Bakersfield, except they called it Canaan. 
And then he could see his city. He could see his city. But it's far better than Ur. Way better than Ur. It's the city of his people. And then it goes on to say this, um, that, that they knew that they were strangers and exiles where? In Canaan? Strangers and exiles where? In Canaan? Now let's just stop for a moment. Do you often feel that you are a stranger in exile? Let me, let me just change that they, they felt that they were an immigrant, stranger in exile, that you are an outsider, that you are an alien, that you are displaced. Do you often feel that you are an outsider displaced? Now, a lot of you guys are Asian, so this is a really Asian city. Maybe you don't feel very displaced in this city, right? But um, some of you college students, you, you left uh, Silicon Valley, and then you went off to college. Did you, did you notice in your, in your college, maybe you're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, there's not nearly as many Asians here, <laughs> and you started to feel a little bit more displaced? That's, that's, probably, that's partly what, that, that's what this passage is saying. But Abraham and Sarah didn't merely feel displaced in Canaan. They felt displaced on the earth. You feel that? If you belong to the Lord, you should feel more and more that you are a stranger in exile, that this is strange, that you are an immigrant on the earth. <laughs> no matter where, where you live, <laughs> It doesn't matter, no matter where you live. And by the way, the whole globe is starting to become this way. People do this. My parents are from Korea, right? Um, they totally think that that's their land. But now, this is really interesting. They've lived in America. They're American citizens now. They've lived in America for a long time. And now when they go back to Korea, you know what they feel? They feel displaced. That's how they feel. It's the land of their ancestry. They know the food. They know the language. And yet... They feel like a stranger and an exile in their own land <laughs> on the earth. And I want to say something to you. This, this is really, really important. Um, in our time, there's a lot of fighting in our politics because everybody feels that if I'm a minority, I feel displaced. You have more power. You have to include me. There's, there's a lot of anger in our society about this. But I actually, when I look at this, I think there's a lot of... It's really naive. It's really naive. What, you, know what they're, you know what they're fighting about? They're fighting about home. But let's go to the next verse. They're fighting about home. This is the way it puts it. This is the way the Bible puts it. Verse 14. For people who speak thus, and by, by this means saying, saying, I will leave my home to go to the land of promise. For who's, people who say this can talk like this, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. There's that, land, there's that word. They're seeking, actually, the, 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 uh, the word there is more like the fatherland. It's the land of my fathers. They're seeking a home. And verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So let's, let, me, let me put it this way. If you're from China or if you're from Korea and you think I'm looking for a homeland, you could go back to China or you can go back to Korea or you can go back to Mexico or you can go back to Philip. I mean, you know, wherever you think your, your, your ancestors are from, right? And yet, just like my parents, they found out, is this really home? But you know, my parents, this is really interesting. 
My parents, when they said that they went back to Korea and it didn't feel like home, I, I would have thought that they would have mourned, but they don't. <laughs> they don't. And you know why I think they don't? It's because I think they decided, no place is my home, only heaven is my home. <laughs> okay? So where's your real home? Your real home is in the city of promise. So this is really important. It's tremendously important. Not, you know, you can go live in another city and try to make that your home. But your real home, you have to think more like Abraham and Sarah. He says they, they could have gone back. If they really thought about where they were from, they would have gone back. But instead, they're looking for something else. And then let's, let's, let's so... Verse 16, this is deeply profound. As it is, they desire a better country. Not the old country, a better country. Not China, not Korea, not, the, not, even, just, not even America. They desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. This is really interesting. God might be ashamed to call you God if you're always trying to make this your home. Interesting. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call, be called their God. Why? Because he has prepared for them what? What does it say? A city. Abraham, when he looked at home, when he wanted home, he thought about her, Ur, but then he said, Ur isn't it. And then he went to the Bakersfield of his time, and he saw a city, even though there isn't much of a city. But then he said, wait, there will be a home, and it will be a great and glorious city. It's from God, huh. right here on this land. I want to ask you, can you think like that? Can you think like that? There is a city, according to this passage, whose, whose designer, I, I like the better, I like this, another translation, whose architect, I think it's a better translation, whose architect and builder is God. Now, this is, this is a, the, the, in the English, it says that um, it's, it's a little ambiguous, whether the city is, is the architect and builder is God, or whether the foundations of the city, verse 10, if you go back to verse 10, it says here, um, for he was looking forward to the city, that is, Abraham was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer, whose architect and builder is God. So in the English, it seems it's a little unclear. Is the city, the, is the architect of the city God? The builder of the city is God? I don't think that's right. If you actually read in the Greek, it's actually very clear. It's very clear. It's the foundations is the architect and builder is God. And then you know who builds the city? This is, this is really important here now. And I'm going to get to part two. You know who builds the city? The foundations are designed and built by God. You know who builds the city? His people build the city. His people build the city. If you go to a home and you never contribute anything to the home, is it your home? Let me ask you. Many of you travel for your business. You go to a really nice hotel. Everything is laid out for you. You contributed nothing to the hotel. Let me ask you, is that your home? <laughs> no. It'll never be your home. But when you go home, you put your picture on the wall. 
You chose the furniture. You designed the way it's going to be. You're building a home. Guess what? The city is built by its people. Its foundations are built by God. This is really important. Now, that, all that was said because you're looking, you're displaced. You're in a city that you're like, is this really my city? Can you look with promise? And you're looking for a home. But home is built by you. The foundations of that city are built by God. But home is something you must contribute to. And when you look into the city, so I'm going to say this thing, and then let's get to application in part two. When you look to the city, can you begin putting in the pieces of something you can practice building your homeland city? That's what I'm calling you to today. Can you practice in faith to building something like your homeland city? Okay? Let's go to part two, heavenly civics. Okay, I, I took a long time because it was a lot, it was a big piece of theology, and I gotta do this quickly, but um in this second part. Here's the application. A lot of people think that getting saved is being forgiven by Jesus. I have a personal relationship with Jesus now. I'm just gonna just try to muddle along in life. And if if the if the world around me is wicked, what we really just need to is escape to heaven. That's what we really do. One day we'll die and then we'll escape to heaven. But as long as Christians think that this is salvation and this is their theology, they're never going to have heavenly civics. They'll never be heavenly citizens and practice it here. What we are intended to do, Abraham practiced being, a, the, being the first citizen of his city. The city promised to him. He went to that land and then he said, I'm going to try to live it here. You know what? That's what we're, we're called to do. God looks at all the cities, and they're more like wicked Babylons. And you know what he wants us to do? Build my Jerusalem. You're going to live in my Jerusalem. That will be your city. It'll be the most glorious city. It'll be the biggest and best home you'll ever have. But when you go live in the city there, you're living in your Babylon, can you build home with me? Would you do that in faith, by promise? I promise you this city. Go live in it. Go live in this wicked city and live in it differently. So that heaven is not just a place we escape to. <laughs> heaven is something that we live in. We begin to practice citizenship now. <laughs> we begin to practice that citizenship now. And I want to offer you three applications, what it could look like. And it kind of, this actually kind of goes back to that message where we're talking about heavenly counterculture. Heavenly counterculture, I want you to apply it into how you look at this city. And I want to I just give you three. I mean, there's so many applications. If you want to get really, really specific, I could ask you to say, why don't some of you run for Santa Clara, you know, school board? That would be great. And think about the values of heaven over against the values of the Babylon of Santa Clara. How about that? Let me offer you three. All right, let me let me just let me just number one, how we approach work. This is the number one way that we do Babylon. We act more like citizens of wicked Babylon instead of acting like the citizens of Jerusalem, which is everybody goes to make money 
make their name, make their pride, and take from the city. That's what we're interested in. I got to go to the city. All around the world, people are like, the. you know that the countrysides are being emptied out to go to the big cities, and all the big major cities of the world are going to get bigger, bigger, bigger. Hong Kong, you know that... You know that Shanghai is, um, you know, if you think America is big, you know, New York is big with 10 million people, you know how many people Shanghai has? 25 million and growing. You know that? Because all the people want to get rich and want to take from the city. And so then they mostly think about, how do they mostly think about work? How do I get mine? How do I get mine? But actually, in the heavenly city of Jerusalem, you don't go there for money. <laughs> Who's going to worry about money in God's heavenly city? Because God, by grace, has given you all that is glorious. You know what you go there for? You go there and say, God has given me a piece of glory of himself, and now I'm going to contribute that glory into the city. This is my work. You know how I know that's true? That was, you know what Abraham, I mean, you know what, you know what Adam's job was? He was a gardener. Adam had a job. <laughs> Adam had work. He went right into the garden to pull forth glory out of the earth. You know, that's what, exactly what we're supposed to do in the city. So when you go to work, can you go to work not just for your name, not just for your power, and not just for your glory so that other people will, um, you know, you can say, oh, now I'm, I'm somebody because I have this good job, or, or, or even just for money, but can you go there to contribute? Not be a mercenary, because that's what mercenaries are. Mercenaries are those people who will just, you know, mercenaries are the people who will fight a war, but they only do it for money, but they don't do it for love of country. They won't do it for the beauty and glory of the country. They only do it for money. You know, the city is filled with selfish mercenaries. But you know what? Every company wants somebody to, we want to build a great product. Will you care about building a great product? Because we want that product to, make a difference in the world. Would you care about that? Guess what? That is something, you know, I know all the companies say that, and then a lot of them don't believe that. They're being hypocrites when they say that. But that actual spirit is a spirit of something more like heavenly civics. So first, the way you look at work. Second, how we do family. How we do marriage and family. Oh, that's interesting. Most of us think of... Um, City as something out there, but you don't think about how you're contributing to the city in the way you do marriage and family. So um, let me ask our, our brother to put this up, this verse up here, right? Um, this is from Habakkuk chapter two. So this is a this is a Habakkuk. I mean, was a, a a prophet who gave mostly an angry, wrathful word against the oppressions of the city of his time. But this is woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. That's pretty much the way we do it today, right? right? Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? Let me just stop for this way. Fire is to like build the energy to, 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 to have our food and stuff like that. And that you, you, you work and make yourselves weary for nothing. A lot of you, when you make your widgets, don't you sometimes feel like, is this all I'm doing? But that's not the way God puts it. For 
the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is what he wanted out of the city. The glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And you know how that's going to happen? It's only going to happen if we get married, if we fruitful or multiply, and then we raise up children to fill the earth and subdue the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord who will be workers in that city. You know, a lot of people think that we're going to do marriage. Well, not sure if we're going to have kids. Oh, well, because I don't know if I want kids. Or two, oh, if we have kids, they're just my kids. They're for me. But if you ever thought that you do family for the city, have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought that you'll do family for God? That you're going to do marriage, and then you're going to do family, and then your children you're going to give to the city, not so that the city could oppress them, but as a gift from God so we could build a better kind of city. Ever thought that? Think about family differently. Number three, um, how, how will you do justice? The city is a place of injustice in every kind of way. First, there's crime. There's stealing, integrity. Let me ask you this. Um, I have heard that there are some of you, there, there's, a, there's, there's a family in, in, in our church who recently, you know, well, there's more than one family. Pastor Young was robbed recently, um, their family, and there's others who, uh, you know, do, do you, in your neighborhood, will you be a neighbor? Will you only worry about if you get robbed, or will you worry about whether your neighbors get robbed? Will you think about that? Protect your neighbors. Will you think about the children? You're like, okay, you know what? These, this neighborhood is dangerous. Let's just leave <laughs> and go to the safe, richer neighborhood. Isn't that the way everybody thinks? But then there's no concern for justice. Or what if they teach really bad things at school? Let's just leave the school and just go to a private Christian school. Now, I'm not against private Christian schools because I think there's wisdom in, you know, having a thick Christian education. But if the only reason people choose private Christian schools is to escape the public schools, I don't think we're being very good citizens. Or how about poverty? That's a different kind of justice. That there's just poverty around, and you can see people who are downtrodden. And some of you have done this. You know, in our own church, we've made care packages for those people who beg on the street. You know, we, we've done, you know, we've, through, through our bishop mission, we've, we've gone and done coding camps, even in, this, even in our city, and soccer, and, and contribute to these things. You know, in Revive, I would like, I would, we, I would like us to do more. More and more. Instead of constantly thinking about, let's be some kind of like ethno, you know, ethnic church sub, um, subculture, let's be citizens of the city for our city and push back the Babylon. Now, this is something Tim Keller likes to say to his, um, Pastor Tim Keller of New York's Redeemer Church, what, what he like, and I would like to say it to you. You know, there's lots of people who say they don't agree with us about Jesus. In fact, they, just, they may even flat out hate us. But could we win their respect? Could we love them even if they hate us? Could we, you know, there's a lot of them, they care about the poor. Would they say, you know, 
I don't really like Christianity and I don't agree with what they teach, but if they, that church didn't exist, the poor in our neighborhood would be a lot worse off. Could we be the kind of church where our neighbors think that about us? And if they think that about us, maybe if we invite them to church, they won't just go, what you do is stupid. <laughs> oh, you're just a bunch of haters. No, maybe we'll say, we know you're not a bunch of haters because we see the way you show love and compassion and where you jump into the needs of our neighbors, the needs that I care about. And so if you invite me to a service, you know, I'll, I respect you. I'll come. And that's really, really important. That even if they won't agree, can we win our neighbor's respect? That's heavenly civics. All right. Let me close. Um, I want to close by talking about, I want to close by giving you a big quote. And, um, and I'm just going to read what I wrote because I, I, I prepped this and I wanted to say this very right. And so I wrote it for today, right? And so many of us, when you come to the city, I know a lot of you are scared about your jobs. You're worried about rent, mortgage. And so if your boss, um, you know, you feel like you have to toe the line in Christianity and Christianity and, and the gospel is like, oh, no. But remember this. Remember what the Bible says. Those people who will look for the city that is their real home, the city by God, that is the people that God is not ashamed to be their God. Do you want God to be ashamed to be your God? Or do you want God to say, there's my people? That's the God, the people that he favors and protects. If you are on the agenda that is his agenda, right? So don't just think about the oppression of the city. Live in faith and look for something else. And I want to offer you something They'll offer you, hopefully, some piece of faith and confidence in this, okay? So let me ask our, our brother to put up this um, very important quote. This is from um, one of my favorite guys. Uh, this is um, C.S. Lewis from one of the most important books ever written in the 20th century, Mere Christianity. I mean, there is just so many great things in Mere Christianity. And here's how he puts it. What I'm asking you to do is live in hope. When you look at the city, can you see more than just San Jose or Santa Clara? Can you just see more than your displacement? Can you see your city? Can you see the city that belongs to you? That's hope, right? That's hope. And here's how Lewis puts it. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. So if the Christians constantly only look at heaven as escapism, no wonder they think that about us. But you must practice hope. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, let me say it this way, hope is something you do. Hope is something we are meant to do. We have to practice it. We have to practice hope. And it's really important how you look at heaven here. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. 
the apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade. Just stop for a moment there. Do you know why Europe is, is filled with Christians? Because some people could see it. They could see it. You know why some people could say all these ways that we, we, we kidnap black people and then we oppress them? They said, we must not do this anymore. I could see a better city when this is gone. They could see it in hope because they could see heaven. They could see the new Jerusalem and they could practice their heavenly civics in faith. All left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. And I want to close by, so I wrote this, like I said. And so, forgive me, I'm going to get a little less eye contact, but I want to to read the, the close of this message, okay? Normally we are like citizens of Babylon, as takers, mercenaries, enslaved, accepting of the evils and habitual sins of our city all around us. Who can make a difference? We just have to get my own. Isn't that the way you and I feel every day? I just got to get by in the city, not get fired. Got to deal with my mortgage. Got to get my kids into the good schools so then they can be rich and comfortable like me, which is the Babylonian way. <laughs> it's the Babylonian way. But there was one who was, an even great, who was even greater than our father Abraham. He was a stranger and exile in an even bigger way. He came from a better country. His country was better than ours. His city was more glorious and beautiful in our, than ours in every way. Because his city had no sin, and it was filled with humility, not pride. It had everlasting joy. It was filled with justice and tremendous love and beauty, overflowing unto others with everlasting generosity. That was his country. He was the chief citizen of that better country. He was the son of God who came from heaven to the Babylon of our corrupt and enslaved earth. Unlike us in our city and country, he did not come to us to use us or exploit us or condemn us or simply be superior than us. He did not come to enrich himself at our expense or magnify himself by downtrodding others. No, he came to serve, to lay down his life to offer radical generosity unheard of in our times and in our city, to offer forgiveness, to love his enemies, to bring justice, healing, reconciliation, and unleash human potential to make us divine. (laughs) He laid down the ultimate foundation for an everlasting city with his cross and offered the most glorious, undefeatable gift with his resurrection. Christ His death is the death of all death and corruption. His life is the undying life to which all glories and beauties 
offered, they never die. They, that his death and his life are the foundations of the city of God. That foundation, if you are in Christ, it's yours. It's ours. God is architect and his foundation is Christ. Can you believe that? Can you look at our city through the eyes of that foundation? Can you look at your citizenship and not argue for power to gain the upper hand here all the time, get so angry because, well, you know, because, you know, all the power is all that matters, right? That's why our politics is so gross. Because everybody's got to have their heaven now. In order to get their heaven now, they've got to impose power. But if you know that this isn't heaven, we can be more patient and forgiving. Can you forgive? Can you love your enemies? Do good to those that hate you and bless the city that rejects you and makes you regularly feel like a stranger and an alien in this time? C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. And let me say it a different way. Aim at the city of God and you'll get Silicon Valley thrown in. Aim at only the riches of this time and you'll get neither. Believe in the gospel. And brothers and sisters, will you be the best citizens of this city? Because you're heavenly citizens in Christ. Let's pray. We see this very, very dimly. Father, who laid down the foundation, who is Christ. And forgive us for mostly Babylonians. We, we come to Silicon Valley and we walk in fear. We walk with stress. We're constantly preoccupied by work and money and our kids, and good schools, and blah, 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 all this other stuff, the constant preoccupations of Babylon. Instead of seeing that we have a far greater gift, that we live in a land of promise, and you have already laid the most glorious foundation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Help us to be a stranger in exile like him. Help us to be like the first citizen of the new Jerusalem, Jesus. Give us faith to serve like him, to be a citizen like him. And give us eyes like our father Abraham that when we walk around this city, we could see it. We could see that this is my city. Not my city because I have power, or because I'm American, or because like, I, you know, like I'm somebody in this city. I'm somebody forever, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, a son, a daughter of the Most High. And Jesus is my foundation. And I can own this city because I'll own it forever. It'll be my city. And will we thus pour forth our efforts and our blessings and start making this into something like a real home, even though it's not our home, and thus offer blessedness to our neighbors and help them to see 
You're not, you don't have to be in Babylon. Would you join our city? You don't have to be oppressed in Babylon. You could be blessed by our king. Would you help us to be this way, to be a church like this? And out of revived church, Lord, may Silicon Valley find new life, the life of the city of God. We love you, we honor you, in Jesus' name.